Hello and welcome to Extra Virgin Food and Travel, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm your host, Natasha Mirosh, an insatiably curious and always hungry food and travel writer who's toured and tasted away around more than 60 countries. Join me now as I talk to the passionate people who make travelling the world so rewarding and so very delicious. Hi there. One of the best things about having your own podcast for me is being able to find guests to talk about subjects that I'm interested in. One of those subjects is Airbnb. I've stayed in heaps of them all over the world and I've always been really fascinated with the idea of opening your home to strangers. So today I'm speaking with Lucy Cousins who along with her husband Michael Clancy have run an Airbnb in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney for the last three years. We're going to talk the nuts and bolts of starting your own Airbnb, from taxes to insurance to dealing with unruly guests and more. Lucy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm guessing that running the Airbnb isn't your full-time job. No, not by a long stretch. It's it's a hobby, although it's a hobby that requires work. My main source of income is that I'm a freelance writer and editor. So I help write websites, I write articles, I manage websites. So I do all sorts of things with words and I look after my two-year-old. That's a job in itself. But the Airbnb is definitely something that I think about on a daily basis. It's it's very much part of what I do. It's just not my full, full-time job. What inspired you to go into airbnb Well, I had met my husband and we had a small pitiful amount of savings Mm -hmm. and we looked at the Sydney market. This was around three years ago or four years ago now and we just, it just was impossible. We just couldn't buy in Sydney in the places we wanted to live. So we actually started looking a bit further out and both of us loved the mountains and we came across quite serendipitously this incredible house. It's a very small little two-bedroom cottage but it's over 100 years old and it's on 900 square metres, 160 square metres or something that backs into the bush and has these views over the cliffs in the Blue Mountains. And we tried to think of how we could make it work for us because obviously he needs to be in Sydney for work. I don't, obviously I can work from wherever, but he does. So there was never a choice that we could live in it. So we had to look at some of the other options. Long-term rental was one that we looked into, but then of course we couldn't enjoy it. So one of the reasons we looked at Airbnb is we had previously stayed in Airbnbs and loved it. Uh, I've always got an interest in the hospitality side of things. Uh, And then it just allowed us to be able to go up and have weekends there or weeks there. We can book it when we want it. You know, we could enjoy it. And the Airbnb money that we hoped would come would then help pay off the mortgage, obviously. (laughs) Okay. And banks are open to the idea of people borrowing against opening an Airbnb and making money that way. Do you have to present a business plan to them or is it just like getting a normal mortgage? No. So banks don't consider Airbnb as a business. That's a really important point. Mm. I guess because it's transient and looking at the past two years is obviously not guaranteed money. So no, you can't, you can't, use that as a a way to borrow more money so you look at it as you know the idea of rent vesting so rent vesting is that you rent in where you want to live and you buy somewhere that's an investment so that's what we were doing so we hire we we got a mortgage but the reason we were able to get a mortgage is because instead of spending two million on a house that would be a modest sydney house we were Mm. able to spend six hundred and ninety thousand and cut that right back down so that our mortgage 
you know, was was in the hundreds, not the millions. Wow. What sort of state was the cottage in when you had it? Did you have to renovate? So there was an artist living in there. The reason why it's called the artist cottage is because it's a little coal miners kind of cottage in the mountains, but it has this lovely artist cottage down the side with views over the garden. And that's where the previous owner used to do his work. He was a quite famous artist. And so we wanted to keep that vibe. And we didn't need to do renovations, but I think the renovations that we did really brought something to the place. So we resanded all the floors we repainted and then they didn't have a veranda so they had to, to exit to exit the house and get into the garden you had to kind of go down these concrete stairs on the side which mm. were a later addition and it, there was no kind of I guess meeting of the house and garden it felt very separate mm. so what we did is we, we put a veranda on the back there that was accessed by the kitchen and it's really lovely because you can open up the kitchen windows which look out onto the view and there's a little table on the veranda so you can pass through plates and you can talk and you can sort of have a chat to whoever's in the house but it also gives you that access to the view and to the garden and it, it was really nice in the fact that it actually brought the nature in too. So now we have all these birds that come and stop and, you know, wait for us to give them some seeds and they come and say hello. It's, it's a really lovely little area which our dog loves to sunbake on and <laughs> I think it's a good addition. How lovely. And for, for any listeners who don't know the Blue Mountains, can you tell us a little bit about the region? Yeah, so it's a set of mountains uh, like an hour and a half or so from the centre of Sydney and it's got a huge amount of bushwalking, incredible views. There's cliff faces which are amazing for rock climbing if that's your thing. There's a, a wonderful history here. There's a lot of 1920s and 30s architecture because at the time the Blue Mountains were seen as a healthier way to get up into the mountains to get that healthy mountain air. So there's these lovely kind of beautiful hotels to stay in restaurants that are all inspired by the 1930s there's fairs there's markets it's a really different vibe to Sydney it's actually very um very villagey and that's because on this kind of spine spinal highway that goes up into the mountains there's just this collection of villages so the Blue Mountains doesn't have a center it has a biggest town which would be Katoomba but really it's spread out along this very long windy road and each little village has its different personality. And Blackheath, which is where we are, is one of the furthest out before it becomes the next region. So you really, you really feel like you're getting away from the city and you're getting away from the hecticness and the busyness and the traffic. It sounds so idyllic. I haven't been to the Blue Mountains since I was a child, so I'll have to put it <laughs> on my return list. What about the practicalities of running an Airbnb? Say I have a home and I want to rent it out on Airbnb. What are the steps that you need to take? Do you have to have a local permit or something? Yes and no. So it depends what region you're in. You don't need a permit unless you are trying to Airbnb out perhaps like a, a small set of apartments with a strata and you may have to ask them for permission. In some areas of the world, the local councils make rules and regulations. For example, there's no Airbnbs permitted anymore on the island of uh, Manhattan, that, not the island, but the peninsula of Manhattan. And there's certain parts of London where you can't have Airbnbs. Let me clarify, in New York, you can own an Airbnb, but you have to, people have to rent it out for more than 30 days, mm -hmm. which is not 
you know, the general market there. In Sydney, they've just brought in a new regulation where you can only rent out your Airbnb for 50% of the year. So that will actually probably dissuade a lot of people because there are some tax benefits to having an Airbnb. Obviously, any work you do on the property, you can tax deduct. However, with this new regulation, you'll only be able to tax deduct 50% of what you spend on the property. So that, that will be a make or break for a lot of people. But as a rule, no, if you want to Airbnb your place, you can. Going back to your sentence of I have a house and I'm ready to Airbnb it, I feel like there's a step in between there. So there's a lot of Airbnbs around the world. The key is to stand out somehow, mm. like in many other areas of business. With Airbnbs, what I have found, being both a user and a host, is you really have to offer something different. Yeah. If you have your holiday house that has your mother's old couch in it, you've got a few posters that you used to have in your old room when you were growing up and, a, you know, a rug that you found that came out for 20 bucks, you're probably not going to get as much yield as if you spend a little bit of time coordinating the home a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Okay, going back to the tax, is running an Airbnb financially viable for most people and are you taxed on that income? So interestingly, Airbnb as a company doesn't pay tax as far as I'm aware, but as a host, you certainly do. So like any other income that you would earn from any other venture, it goes onto your income tax. So it is taxable. Is it viable for anyone? You have to own the place or at least have permission to use the place to Airbnb first. So that will be a detractor for some. In terms of running it as a business, in Sydney with the 50% rule, it won't be attractive to everyone to do, no. But I think in the rest of Australia and parts of the world, I think it's a really viable way of earning money, especially Airbnb also has that side option of renting out a room Mm. or a granny flat. So you don't have to have the money to buy an entire separate place. You can rethink the layout of your existing home. But the difference there is that you have face-to-face contact with your guests and not everyone wants to do that. Mm, I have to say one of the reasons that I choose Airbnb is so that I don't have contact. Yes, no, so do I. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm exactly the same. And so I think one of the things I love is that I get to, I get to talk to the guests on the lead up to their stay and I, I send, we can get into this later, but I do send through information of what they can do in the area and I answer all of their questions And then every now and again, someone will text me when they're up there, either with, you know, a small issue like the toilet's not working or like just compliments, just people saying, oh, we've just arrived and it's gorgeous Mm. and thank you so much for letting us stay. And then, you know, there's always with Airbnb, you obviously have to review people afterwards. So it's a nice amount of contact with people without having them in your home when you get up in the morning. (laughs) But for some other people, I I definitely have friends who love that side of things where they rent out a room and they love getting someone in each week or each month that's from a different background that gives them something to talk about and you know they help show them the local area so I think there are there are varying degrees of Airbnb depending on what you would like yours to be like Mm. and what's what about your occupancy rate how often is it rented out So we were really lucky. We started getting bookings the two weeks or a week after we put it up on Airbnb. And then apart from the pandemic, (laughs) which has been challenging, we have been booked every weekend. And then school holidays were booked throughout the weeks as well. So I think a reason for that is that 
as I was saying before, in order to have an Airbnb, you have to have that difference. You have to have some reason where, you know, and it's kind of part of that conversation. If someone says, how was your weekend away? You know, you, you want someone to say, oh, we stayed in this wonderful place that, you know, you need to be able to finish that sentence, whether that's like, we stayed in this wonderful place that had an incredible view or we stayed in this wonderful place that had incredible furniture or something like that, whatever, whatever, whatever it is, mm. you just need to stand out. So for us, we really did two things. We really took that angle of the artist cottage. We provide all of the things people would need to get creative. We have areas for people to make their own collage cards. We have paint, we have pencils, we have easel, we provide small canvases People leave us drawings and paintings that they've done, which is awesome. So we've got a, a whole wall there of, of art mm. that people have produced for us, which we love. And then in the house, we provide all of the wood for the for the wood burning fire, the stove. We also we've looked at the the house, which is the, that 1920s 30s theme, and we've really tried to do a modern version of Art Deco in there. So while it might not necessarily be our personal style, what we really thought was important was to keep the integrity of the cottage. So we've got artwork from that time. We've got a beautiful green velvet couch, which is reminiscence of Art Deco. We've, we've got a, just little reminders everywhere of not only the heritage of the cottage, but also just some fun extra things. Like we've got a record player there with a stack of fantastic records. So, you know, we try to make guests feel comfortable and another really important thing when setting up your airbnb is to as i said not think about your personal style think about what suits mm. the architecture of the place if you know and look if, it, if there's no heritage to the place if, if it's a new build then look at what you can do to make it a bit different and also just take away anything personal so no photos that are personal nothing that you care about definitely mm. that's a big thing nothing that you care if it gets broken or damaged but also when people come in, you want them to kind of arrive at your property and feel like it's theirs, feel like it's not lived in, you know, mm. like not cold and, and left alone, but just something that they can imprint their weekend on. In. That must be a really hard thing to do to, you know, not make it bland and uninteresting, but at the same time, not be imposing yourself on that space. And I, I've stayed in some around the world that have been magnificent without feeling like it was somebody else's home but yeah that's a very fine line isn't it it is and I think matching the decor to the architecture helps with that I think allowing people some kind of extra goodies like leaving bottles of wine we also have like a cupboard that's filled with flour some rice and we, we provide all the coffee pods and also I think in order to make people feel like you're happy for them to stay, it's it's like we don't ration out the coffee pods. Sometimes I've stayed in places where there's three coffee pods for yeah. a week's stay. We have a big jar of coffee pods. We leave them milk. We uh, They have unlimited run of the wood pile. Like there's, there's a whole lot of things. You know, we've got umbrellas there. We've got extra coats. We've got sun hats. I, I think there's, you know, by being generous in a few ways, you really make people feel wanted. And I think that's a key. Mm. Well, that leads me to two other questions. One is how much time do you devote to running the cottage? And the other one is the fact that you live in the inner west of Sydney, around an hour and a half away from your cottage. How do you manage with guests? Do you drive up every time you're going to have guests? How do you do the cleaning? What are the practicalities of living such a distance from your Airbnb? 
Well, it's interesting. We've actually done it in two separate ways. So before I had my daughter, she's two now. So in the first year of running the cottage, I absolutely loved driving up there and spending the day there and doing the clean and sitting in the garden, having a cup of coffee (laughs) and making it into a day trip. Now, obviously, that's because I'm a freelance writer and I can do my work in the evening. So I was able to do that. If you are able to do that, especially if you're only taking weekend bookings, perhaps, it does allow you to make sure the house is looking exactly how you want it to look, smelling how you want it to look. We always use, you know, organic house sprays, which just give a nice like kind of feel when people arrive. If you are able to do it on a regular basis, it means you'll have much more handle on your property, any damage that, you know, any repairs that need to be made, what, what guests might kind of notice when they walk in what they what might they might not notice but obviously that wasn't possible as soon as I started getting heavily pregnant and so we found um, a local lovely local woman who is now our trusted cleaner so she kind of I still manage the property and the fact that I do all of the bookings I talk with all of the visitors <laughs> all of the people that come and stay Uh, And I sort out any problems, but then our cleaner comes and does the clean before and after people stay. Hmm. And how many hours do you think you would work on on the cottage in terms of taking the bookings and communicating with potential guests, et cetera? When we're really busy, uh, for example, during school holidays, I'd probably be on there for half an hour a day. It's not not time consuming because you only have a certain you know you only have seven days a week that can be booked so you know most people will stay either for a weekend or a week so in a month you you might have you know four to eight people that you're dealing with it's not it's not a huge amount but then on top of that it's juggling things like making sure you've got supplies so I'll be I'll be talking with the cleaner about what how many tea bags I need to organize and then and like what we have done in the past is I've had the supplies delivered to her house and so then she can bring them in. So it's it's making sure that your supply cupboard is full, making sure all of the bills are paid for the laundrette. We use a laundrette up there. We do have a gardener that comes sometimes because we do have quite a large sculptured garden. So he needs to come. So it's a bit, I guess it's a bit more of management. Mm. And then on top of that, it is marketing. Mm. So I have a bit of a love of marketing. So that's, you know, I don't find that as work, but it's things like we've been featured in magazines and on blogs and websites and it's that kind of and now a podcast (laughs) it's that kind of like you know just talking about our experiences and sharing what we've done and Mm. and we have a pretty active community group so I'm on Instagram and so we have over a thousand followers on there, which I always think is quite good for Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I follow any other Airbnbs. But what we do is we highlight local artists. So every few posts, we will highlight one of the, the artists in the Blue Mountains because it's actually a, a large artistic community up there. And we will do photos of local wildlife and what our garden's looking like in each season. So there's that kind of angle to it too, which I really enjoy. They're they're really great tips for people. I mean, you don't want to just be pushing the place, do you? You want to weave a story. And I guess you have the advantage being a writer, being able to write a beautiful description of your cottage. How important is that? How important is that first impression on the Airbnb page? The biggest thing is the photographs. I would say one of the one of the best investments that you could make is to hire a professional photographer to come and take photos of your house if that's out of your budget because I you know Mm. depending what people charge it could be a thousand could be you know Mm. a bit more than that but it will make you money 
if you can't afford that, I would I would see if any of your friends are any good at taking photographs because the first impression that someone lands on there, they're, they're not going to necessarily read the description. They're going to look through the first three photos. That's so if you true. don't grab them in those first three, then they're going to click on something else. So I think in terms of hierarchy of what's important, your photos, 100%. Next is your description line. And this is where a little bit of skill comes in, but something short and snappy. It's something that will just get people to understand exactly what it is, what they're staying at. Like for the first six months, we had new written up there. And mm. I think that also helps. Mm. So our, our line says cozy 1930s cottage with gorgeous gardens. Mm. So straight, straight up, it tells you it's small because it's cozy. 1930s tells you it's old. So if you want something that's new and swanky, this isn't for you. And three, it says it's gorgeous gardens. So you know that it's at least got some privacy there. And then what, you know, your, your write up is, is very, is very important as well. So whatever you're trying to get across, that's the the guests that you will attract, you know? So if you put up some pretty kind of terrible photos, <laughs> you haven't looked into your styling of your place and your description is kind of a little bit flat, if you do get anyone stay, they might not be the kind of people that you want to stay. Mm. You know, you, you're sharing a part of, uh, especially if you're emotionally attached to the place. If it's just a, a, a place that you're doing for investment, you might not care so much, but we're emotionally attached to our place. So we want to attract lovely people who, who really enjoy the house. And so far we have, we've had incredible feedback. Lucy, if you weren't artistic or creative or had any kind of interior design style knowledge, is it worth hiring somebody to do the styling for you? Yes. Like if you have the money, then hiring a photographer and a stylist would be the first option. I think the thing though is people get really worried about interior design and say they haven't got any you know, skills in that area. All you need to do is just look on Pinterest, pick up a homes magazine find out some of the things that you think suit the house. Does it look good? Do you think it looks out of place? That kind of idea. You can even get apps these days where you can take a photo of your room mm. and start importing some kind of like shape of the couch and shape of the light and things like that. Mm. I think the other thing to think about is that you don't have to buy everything new. We certainly didn't. We bought new beds and mattresses and sheets, obviously, and a couch because that gets a lot of wear and tear. Mm. But my husband restored an, a, a really old dining table that turned out incredible. And we went to the local op shops. We got all of our books. So we have over maybe 150 books or 200 books in the cottage. So we got those from our local op shop. We got, you know, a lot of the artwork we got from op shops. I've got this fantastic cross-stitch tapestry, which my husband hates, of the ocean, <laughs> which I think looks amazing. And we also both went to the local antique centre and he chose a piece of art that he liked and I chose a piece that I liked. So it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to, not everything has to cost a huge amount. It's just kind of, you know, working out that, even even just the act of putting in effort mm. is almost all you need because the biggest thing that you can tell if you have a look through Airbnb is if it's someone's holiday house they've had in the family for 30 years and it's a random collection of everything. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that straight away and it's because it's it's how it's evolved and there's been no effort into thinking about it. Mm. Well, you're very lucky now that you've got all this free artwork coming your way from your guest. <laughs> <laughs> There's been some really fun stuff, although I have to say, so my mother is actually an artist and in our artist cottage we have a few of her um, life drawings from when she went to life drawing classes 
And I think it's inspired a few guests because some of the ones they leave behind are drawings of them with no clothes. So those ones um, we tend not to put up on the wall because they tend to be a bit more graphic than my mother's ones. But there have been some other beautiful paintings of uh, birds and leaves and things like that. And those ones are definitely up on display. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. Well, you know, when you read Airbnb reviews, there are some pretty strange comments from guests. Have, what are some of the more ridiculous expectations of guests that you've had? Um, look, I will be upfront and say that we have been very lucky. I think one of those reasons is because we are in a tourist area that generally attracts an older clientele. I do have a horror story, which I will tell you in a minute, from a friend of a friend. But for us, we've just found that certain people expect hotel pleasures. Like most of the people will clear, like clean up and, and just do a little bit of a, a tidy before they leave. But we have had people that have left mm. like pizza boxes everywhere and, and have kind of left it like I guess you would a hotel room, although mm. I've never left a hotel room like that. But we have had people that have left it in a bit of a shambles. We've also had people that, you know, like little things have gone missing, like our umbrellas and things like that. So that's been just a bit of a shame. But as as I said previously, we don't have anything there that we would be upset if it if it vanished. And that's a real key because otherwise then you start being more emotionally arrested than you need to. We had someone complain about how our toilet didn't flush enough, <laughs> but, I mean, it's a hundred year old house and it flushes so can't do much about the plumbing in that but to be honest like I think we've had I don't know about 250 or something nearly five star reviews so I I, without sounding smug I think we've been very lucky so Mm. far but we know that the day will come when something terrible happens but but yeah we I did I did have a friend that had an Airbnb in a very busy part of Sydney big beautiful amazing Airbnb but because it was so large and close to nightclubs it became inadvertently a party airbnb which you have no control of until you either see the damage or (laughs) hear it on Mm. the news anyway she told me that she came home once and they had these floor to ceiling windows and there were just right at chest height there were just all of these imprints of female chests and then in the crevices of the of the glass coffee table were remnants of cocaine oh so it you know you just have to kind of think about like one of the things we do do is when when people book so on airbnb and this is probably a really important thing to say you can make restrictions so Mm. There's instant booking, which means that the booking is accepted and you have no say in it. Or there is a, I guess, a restricted booking where you say, I would like someone who has a photo on their profile, on their Airbnb profile. I would like someone that has their government IDs in their profile. So we can't see those, but Airbnb can. Mm. So it just means that uh, you know that they've put in both their credit card details and their license. And that's really important. Yeah, so you can put those in. So for us, we require people to have a photo. Why is that? Just means they're more, well, just it's just means they're more invested in in having their profile. And people tend to kind of I don't know. You get kind of people who are happier to have a chat. Whereas if you're just sort of dealing with someone with a grey circle, it makes it very hard to connect. And then also a government ID. So we ask them to put a government ID in. But as we say to them, we don't see the details. We just mm. know that Airbnb 
knows. And that's just said that if someone trashes your house or mm. sets fire to it, there's some kind of link that you can have. It's And it also weeds out people that might book two or three Airbnbs and cancel, you know, seven days out and so you've lost your booking and you don't have any money so there's a few sort of separate things you can do and then with your cancellation requirements we're pretty lenient so you can cancel as I said seven days out and you won't get charged there are other kind of Airbnb's settings where you can cancel you know 14 days out but you'll still get charged 50 percent so as a host you have control over all of that but one thing to be mindful is when you set your nightly price so ours is around 220 dollars then Airbnb will also put a charge on top of that and take a charge, take a percentage of your 220. So mm. they get two hits, two bites at the apple. So what you're charging is not what the customer pays. And that's what a really interesting point to make is because there's a difference. So we charge 220 because I think by the time Airbnb puts money on top, they have their charge it's probably an extra I, I can't even remember the percentages but it's still around that 250 dollars a mark once a property tips over to 300 dollars, I think clients have a different perception of what they're going to get mm. it's a you know there's there's a difference between spending 320 dollars a night and spending 240 dollars a night mm. and so it's just really important to kind of evaluate what you think your property is worth I didn't know that Airbnb, I, I knew obviously that they took a percentage, but I didn't realise that they also added on. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's hard. So what you, so when you set your prices, you've really got to look at two things. One is what will cover your expenses and included in that expenses is obviously your mortgage costs and your land tax and everything like that. And then the second thing is roughly what will it be once Airbnb puts, puts their money on top and will it be worth that for the client? And talking about expenses, do you have to have some special kind of insurance? Uh, Airbnb does offer a pretty extensive insurance, which will cover part of what you need it to cover. But we also have obviously house and contents and third party just in case someone falls down and hurts themselves. So it's really important to look at if you're going to go and do an Airbnb, but for example, put it on some of the other sites, they're not going to offer insurance. So that's some things to weigh up. So Airbnb will take out a little bit more money, but they've got their insurance policy. They also have a head office, which does seem to look into any damages or any problems. If you go with either a smaller provider or some of the other ones that are out there, they don't offer the insurance and they're simply a third-party selling app, if you like. Well, Lucy, it doesn't sound like you've had too many negative reviews, but have you given them? I know that you can actually give a review to a guest. Have you had to do that before? Yes, so you actually have to. So Airbnb, you have to rate the place that you stayed in and as a host, you have to rate the person that you stayed in your house. And it's a really good checks and balances system because it does mean that when you're looking at whether to accept someone you can see their reviews and see if they've had some good feedback and yeah I think I have I think we had someone that didn't leave the house particularly clean I think they had damaged something and broken a couple of glasses but hadn't told us about it and we don't care about that kind of stuff we have you know backup glasses it's just the courtesy I think we had someone that was pretty rude to us and so we I think we marked them down a little bit but the major thing is that at the end of your ratings of the person that's just stayed, 
pops up a question from Airbnb and it says, would you host this guest again? And that's your chance to be like, you know what? No, I don't want them staying in my house or yeah, they were fine. They were just a bit annoying. So you can, you can make that decision at the end there. And then Airbnb will, for example, the next time that person looks in your area, if you say you don't want to host them, your house just won't come up. So you do have, you certainly have a choice. And, And then if you do, also decide to have a few extra layers of checks and balances when you accept guests then you can also decline as well so if someone has applied to stay in your house and you look at them and you think okay well you've already got a couple of negative reviews and um, you haven't put government id on and you've been a bit rude in your message actually i don't really want you to stay and that you know that's a really important part of being an airbnb because it's it's your property have you done that yeah, we've, de- we've declined people, definitely. So we've declined people who haven't been very nice in their correspondence to us or who are asking, you know, for un- unreasonable things and or who have had negative reviews mm. or you just don't feel comfortable with them for whatever reason it is. I mean, that's that's the great thing about Airbnb if you put that filter on is that you don't have to explain. Mm. You know, it's your house. If you don't want someone staying there, that's fine. That's, there's no there's no rule anywhere that says you have to take people. So, you know, you could put, a, put up something on Airbnb and only accept two people a year if you want to. Lucy, I believe the cottage is in the area where you had some pretty terrible fires last year. Tell us about that. Yeah, so our cottage is in Blackheath on Hat Hill Road and the fires, if you look at those, it was actually started, it was in the middle of the the larger fires, but the fire that came near us was part of the back burning fire that got out of control. And yeah, let's just say that we don't have a back fence anymore. (laughs) So it came straight up to our back fence and two two or three houses down and actually singed the all of the back of their their, uh, house. So, you know, there is... Because we do live an hour and a half away, there are these times where there'll be mega storms, there'll be fires, there'll be problems, and and that's also an added stress that you do need to be aware of. Luckily, we didn't have any guests at the time. A lot of that was because, you know, the the mountains were evacuated a long time before that, and it was actually us that were scheduled to go up there. So that's something to be thankful for. But another thing which is a really good tip is that my husband loves techie stuff so one of the things that he set up which actually has ended up to be one of the best things we've ever done is we have a keypad on our door which is an electric keypad and when every time we have a new guest we give them a particular code and that code only lasts for the time that they're there so it means that people don't have to pick up a key they don't have to find a lockbox they don't have to go and ask the neighbours, they don't have to dig up something in the garden. So <laughs> I all I do is I send them through a code. As I said, that's their specific code. Once they leave on their checkout day, that code then expires. It also works if you have tradies coming over and you can give the tradie the code for two hours and then it'll expire after those two hours. Mm. Anyway, so on the night that we had the fires, my husband could see because we have this electronic system which as an Airbnb, you also have to have a, a fire alarm system. Just It's just the same as a fire detector, but it, it detects carbon dioxide in the house. So that's one of the requirements. And you can get it at Bunnings. It's not expensive. But we got one that connected to our, our system and we could see that the carbon dioxide in the house was actually rising substantially and the heat wow. um, went up, you know, by 10 degrees in two seconds. It was ridiculous. So we actually thought the house was on fire. Wow. So my husband 
called triple zero who then put him through to the SAS and he said look I think our house is on fire and the guy actually said no I'm standing outside of your house it's not on fire but if if we have to we're going to have to break down your door to get inside and he said I've actually just opened it up for you and the reason he could do that is because we have an app on our phone where if a guest forgets their number or if you know, someone needs to have access and, and you know, they're standing at the front door, you can actually open it remotely. Oh, so he wow. just opened it, the SAS guy came in, checked everything, and it was totally fine. So there's certainly automated things that you can add, which makes your life a lot easier. We also linked in our sprinkler system, so we can be in Sydney and put sprinkler on in the backyard for two hours. And let me tell you, before those fires or in the days, you know, coming up to those fires getting close to us, we had that sprinkler system on <laughs> a lot. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, there's, you know, things will go wrong, but a little bit of forethought will definitely help. Wow, those gadgets sound amazing. Do you have one key piece of advice for people who are keen to get into running an Airbnb? I think the key piece of advice is to understand that it it's not easy money. It, you will have to work for it, but it is a really great way of making some extra income and, and also depending how you do your Airbnb, it's it's a chance to have free holidays. So we, you know, we go up to the mountains and have weekends up there. We have a week over Christmas. We'll book it out for Easter. You know, the only cost to us that weekend is is how much wine we drink, <laughs> which is really amazing. You know, if we had to book that out, we'd be spending two or $3,000 if we wanted to stay somewhere for a week with the views that we have. So yeah, it's, you got to make it work for you. And if, if it, by working for you means that you rent out your room twice a week to pay for your student fees, that's fine. You know, like I had a friend who had this incredible apartment that had a view of Sydney Harbour and whenever he booked it, he would just go and stay with his sister <laughs> because he could he could charge such amazing rates because his house had views of the opera house. It was incredible. It, like, so, you know, however it works for you is good, but it's not, I guess it's just not easy money because you have to attract those people you have to put the work in and you have to be managing it on a daily basis Mm. well that's fantastic advice and it's advice that I'm going to take because I would like to see myself in your position one of these days very soon with my own holiday house slash Airbnb it sounds like an amazing way to do it so thank you so much for talking us through it today Lucy those tips have been so useful Thank you so much. And listeners, I'll put a link to Lucy's Cottage on the website. And thank you for listening. Until next time, bon voyage and bon appétit. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts and subscribe, rate and leave a review.